1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. The big earnings roll on, and there is one market that appears to be bucking all the trends. Bob Iger dropping the hammer, cutting thousands of jobs, and reorganizing Disney investors like it. But should they? And a new warning from J.P. Morgan's J.P. Diamond over inflation and the Fed's policy path going forward. The communist government taking China's booming artificial intelligence sector down a peg. Though some stocks have surged triple digits in just a week. And later, could the layoff ripple be turning into a wave? The latest tech companies slashing stash staff to save some cash. It is Thursday, February 9th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And as always, welcome from wherever in the world. You may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for being with us here. Let us jump right in, kick off the hour with a check on markets and your money, because things are looking pretty good right now. Sun's not up yet, but futures are bright. We are seeing the Dow futures pop 270 right now, NASDAQ up 159. So a lot of momentum in those futures this morning. As stocks go up, bond yields, they're holding steady. Ten-year yield at right around 3.6%. And in the world of energy, oil once again beginning to creep a little bit higher. Crude coming off its highest close in a week. Right now, well, it's up about about 0.1%, but it's 78.57. You can see still above 78 per barrel natural gas. Down what's new for natural gas is 238, still below 250. And in the world of crypto, we're actually seeing Bitcoin and Ether a little bit lower this morning. I say actually because this has been the hottest asset class so far this year. Not higher every day, but most days. And Bitcoin has cooled off a bit, off about 1000 bucks from its high of last week. It's at 22792 Around the world, we had a mixed session overnight in Asia. It saw Hong Kong pop more than 1.5%, maybe following our markets higher Their reopening just continues to gain steam as well. Haven't had any COVID headlines out of China for a while now. Completely different than how it was for the better part of three years. Their markets responding. And in Europe, their trading day just getting underway. But like our futures, European markets looking good. All the major averages there are higher. Now, if you remember, and if you care, and maybe you don't, one of my five predictions for the year, and I do them for fun, but why not, was that European stocks even with all of Europe's energy problems and whatever, would do better than U.S. stocks for the year because that's sometimes how markets work. Long way to go, but a good start to the year overseas as well. Hey, maybe I'll go one for four in my predictions this year. We shall see. All right. We have got a huge corporate story here, and that is Disney. Shares are popping as the new slash old CEO Bob Iger drops the hammer. And lays off thousands of employees also making a big move toward reorganizing the company pippa stevens here with that pippa good morning
2: good morning brian well shares of disney are popping in the pre-market on the heels of a first quarter top and bottom line beat that showed smaller than expected streaming subscriber losses but the big story from the call and report is the massive restructuring plan unveiled by ceo bob Iger. Disney says it plans to cut 7,000 jobs and slash five and a half billion dollars in costs as part of a reorganization that gives more power to the company's content executives. Here's Iger from the call last night.
3: I've always believed that the best way to spur great
1: creativity is to make sure the people who are managing the creative processes
3: feel empowered. Therefore, our new structure is aimed at returning greater authority to our creative leaders and making them accountable for how their content performs financially. Our former structure
1: severed that link and it must be restored.
2: Iger says Disney will be reorganized into three new segments. Disney Entertainment, which includes streaming and most of its media operations. ESPN, which includes the TV network and ESPN Plus, and then a Parks and Experiences unit. Now, the move is a significant one for Iger since he returned as CEO back in November. Though the stock is up more than 20 percent so far this year, Iger has been under pressure to make Disney's streaming business profitable and answer challenges from Tryon Fund management's Nelson Peltz, who launched a proxy war against Disney last month. Perhaps to soothe some concerns from Tryon, Iger did say that he is looking to reinstate the company's dividend before year's end and hopes to boost it over time. That stock up 6% here, Brian.
1: And up 35, 36% on the year. Truly an incredible start to the year for Disney. Pippa Stevens, we'll see in a few minutes. Thank you very much. We also, by the way, have an analyst coming up on Disney. All right, now to some other key headlines that are happening now. Jamie Dimon says it is simply too early to declare victory against inflation, warning the Federal Reserve could raise and keep rates above 5% for some time. In an interview with Reuters, Dimon adding that investors should, quote, take a deep breath and not put so much stock into one month's good numbers. Meantime shares of Baidu and other Chinese tech and artificial intelligence companies falling this on a warning from state media over the risks of investing in the recently red-hot sector. In a front page editorial in the Securities Times, they highlighted several other quote trendy technologies that spurred buying before fizzling out, like augmented reality, 5G, virtual reality, etc. Some of these Chinese tech stocks have more than doubled or tripled this year alone, some of that on a promise of a revolutionary artificial intelligence move. And the sharks, they are circling. Add hedge fund third point to the long list of outspoken investors taking a stake in Salesforce. According to multiple reports, the exact size of the new stake is not known, but if it is confirmed, third point would be joining names like Elliott Management, Starbird, and Value Act, which have all reported stakes in Salesforce that stock up, one point one one percent. All right, now to a big story in global banking and more woes for Credit Suisse. The stock down again as the Swiss bank posts a massive loss. Jeff Cutmore sat down with the bank CEO on those results, and he joins us now. And they're making headlines. And uh, Jeff, uh, this has been one of the biggest corporate stories in a in a rough way for years, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better anytime soon.
0: No, quite frankly, Brian, these numbers were horrible, and the bank has had a tumultuous uh, last two or three years, all sorts of legal challenges, and then uh, assets under management walking out of the door. And the the headlines here, the net loss, Uh, 1.4 billion Swiss francs, the uh, 2022 full year loss, 7.4 billion Swiss francs. These are big numbers and 110 billion Swiss francs assets under management leaving this business over the fourth quarter alone. So they have some big reputational issues to deal with. They announced a major restructuring program last year. They are working through that restructuring program. But the CEO still acknowledges these are not good figures. These numbers are completely unacceptable, no question. And hence, we
4: laid out a new strategy in last uh, end of October with the transformation program. And I think if you look into the number, it tells you the, how necessary the transformation program into a new
3: Credit Swiss.
0: And let's also hear Ulrich Koerner on what they're planning to do with the investment bank, Michael Klein. He's having his business bought from him for $175 million, but that brings him in to the new Credit Suisse First Boston operation, which he will run as CEO. Let's hear what uh, Mr. Kerner had to say about that.
4: There's still a lot of interest. Um, we have very, very deep, very serious conversations with several very serious parties. Uh, who are, which are interested into investing into CSFP. We wanted to conclude first a step now with with Michael Klein and and, and company, and then we take that from there and and do step by step in creating CSFP.
0: And this new operation is part of what Credit Suisse management hopes will be a continual de-risking of the bank, Brian, as they see it. They want to focus on less, quote, risky areas of the market like asset management, uh, private wealth management business, and obviously the Swiss banking business here. But um, as you can see from the market reaction, I don't think any investors are really happy with these figures. To
1: to think that the stock here in the United States may go below $3, one of the most important banks in the world, is incredible. Jeff, in that interview, uh, Kerner said the, quote, new Credit Suisse, Do we have any idea what he means by the new company? I mean, what they want to do, because they bought First Boston. He mentioned that. And First Boston is a name well-known to our U.S. audience. I've heard some people suggest, or at least say they should, completely spin back off First Boston into its own company. Do you have any idea what this, quote, new Credit Suisse may be?
0: Yeah, Brian, they want to streamline the operation and make it much more focused on the wealth management operations here. So this this move to um, spin out CSFB, if you like, uh, by Michael Klein into the business. It's a way of, they think, bringing external capital into that operation, coming up with an M&A boutique that will be a decent challenger on Wall Street to the big big incumbent names. The, the question is really, um, will the market buy in and will the market offer up the mandates? Um, Michael Klein, obviously a well-known and successful name in your part of the world, but he's got a big job to take on to try and get CSFB back among the front runners. The other things that the bank is doing, it's spinning off its securitized products business to Apollo, another way that it's divesting. And it's setting up an internal bad bank to take up some of the other non-core operations going forward. But quite frankly, Brian, it's going to take years for this strategy to pay off. And And investors are going to have to be very patient if they want to see this all the way through, because at the moment, this bank is trading at an 80 percent discount to its book value. And the shares are down over 60 percent in the last 12 months. So it tells you an awful lot about the challenges for Ulrich Koerner and his management team ahead.
1: I mean, Jeff, I mean, explain it to our U.S. audience we know the company. I mean, this is a matter of national pride for Switzerland.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, they hate the fact that this bank is doing as poorly as it is and it's had a succession of scandals that have dragged the name through the mud. But there is a two bank strategy here, I think, in Zurich and the SNB and the authorities in Basel clearly want Credit Suisse to regain its mojo. But it's had a series of managers yeah. who've come through. They've looked at the business and they've struggled so far to come up with a winning strategy. Ulrich Kerner, or Ollie the Knife, as he's known in local circles, has definitely brought the scalpel. Huh. Nine thousand jobs are set to go here. But ultimately, is he also the kind yeah. of CEO who can grow the business, not just cut it?
1: And you wonder if maybe someday they will merge with that other big Swiss bank. We shall find out. But a great interview, an important stock, really systemically important for much of Europe. Jeff Cutmore, thank you very much. All right, we come back here stateside this morning's big money movers and why it's not just Disney laying out big job cuts in the weeks ahead. Plus, American stocks may still be well off our all-time highs, but another major market is faring better. We'll tell you who. And then much more on Disney. And what has already been a stellar year for the stock. We'll talk parks, streaming, and their numbers. Dow features, by the way, soaring. So good Thursday morning. We're back right after this.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones. Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve.
1: All right. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. Could be another good day for stocks. Futures, they are higher across the board. Dow futures up 258. Disney going to be a big part of that. But Nasdaq up 148 as well. So good Thursday morning. Now, what's been a good start to the year? Even with these gains, though, we're not at our highs. The Dow remains more than 8 percent from its all time high. Similar story for the S&P 500. And even with the big move so far this year, the Nasdaq still off more than 20% from its all-time high. But get this, a bit of a different story overseas. The FTSE 100, that's the Dow Jones of the UK, if you will, hitting its first all-time high since the pre-pandemic days of early 2020. But why? Let's talk more about this and other things happening global. I believe with Seema Shaw, chief global strategist at Principal Asset Management. Seema, good to have you back on. I mean... I've been to Europe. I've been to London. We talked about the energy crisis before the war. We've talked about it since the war. You guys, like we are getting really lucky with the weather as far as preserving your energy supplies. I wonder if that's helping the market, because if it's not, I'm not sure I have any rational reason, (laughs) why the European markets and UK have been hotter than the U.S.,
6: yeah, look, thanks for having me on. It, it is certainly a very interesting um, dynamic that's going on. And I, I would really separate the UK and Euro um, area out slightly differently. So, for the United Kingdom, as you said, look, it is considered to be the wo- the worst performing um, economic market in the G7 this year. It is expected to go into recession very soon and for it to stay in recession throughout 2023. So, this makes it even more intriguing. But the reason that the U.K. has outperformed is because actually valuations have been very, very cheap. So it's very attractive. It also is offering one of the highest dividend yields globally. So for people who are worried about the the equity market for this year, actually for a safe place, the U.K., funnily enough, is actually becoming the place to go to. And then with a weak currency as well, um, that is helping the FTSE 100 because of its international exposure. So that's on one side. For Europe, actually, the story is a little bit more compelling because fundamentally that, that drop in energy prices has changed the outlook fairly significantly and on top of that europe is going to befe- benefit fairly significantly from china's reopening so those two factors and of course plus the valuation story for europe is, which is also very compelling is one of the reasons why europe is becoming one of the favorites for investors this year
1: is that it i mean just just too cheap to ignore
6: it is actually, yes, in a way it is. You know, we've come into this year and you look at the global map, um, the markets which really stand out as expensive, is actually just India and the United United States. If you look at UK and Europe, um, valuations are fairly cheap. And after the very significant falls last year, many investors are saying, look, if they are long-term investors, this is the time to go fishing. So they're looking for the markets which are fairly cheap, where fundamentals, generally speaking, shouldn't be too dire, which is why Europe, to us, does stand out as a potential, The United Kingdom, same as you, I struggle to get my head around it. I look at it as a a long term investment perspective. It's not particularly attractive because we are expecting the economy to really struggle, not just 2023, but actually beyond as well.
1: Yeah. Well, history says sometimes when things look the worst, that's when you actually want to be the buyer of stocks. I'm still trying to understand the U.S.'s start to the year, Seema. I mean, listen, it's good news. We got crushed last year. We're up big this year. Do you expect it to continue or do you think the highs for the U.S. have maybe already been made this year?
6: So I think it's possible that you could see this this market rally that you've seen since the start of the year continue for a little bit longer. And in a way, it does make sense, because where we are at the moment is the market is saying, look, we are closer to the end of the Fed tightening cycle than we are to the beginning um and we're yet to see really clear signs of any recession, right? If you just think about the labour market report and how strong that was. But at the moment what the market is saying is that there's going to be Fed um just a few more hikes to come, and then there's gonna be fairly significant rate cuts towards the end of the year, and they're also expecting this very Goldilocks soft landing. So we have to wonder how much more upside really is there for the market. And on the other hand, there's considerable downside risk. So at this stage, although this rally could maybe persist a little bit longer. If you're looking at over the broader, over the longer year, um, we have to wonder how, you know, it does certainly seem as if the market rally cannot continue. And actually, at some point, there will be declines which could even retest those October lows that we saw last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, what a start to the year and futures indicating it up. But Euro- European markets outperforming us, largely really shocking start to the year. Seema Shaw. always love having you on. Have a great day, Seema. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, still on deck. Why Valentine's Day love letters, or you know what I mean, like love messages, could be getting a little more artificial. A shocking report from McAfee you have to hear. It is part of your top trending stories, and it's coming up.
5: From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive,
1: All right, time now for some big money movers on this Thursday morning. Shares of AppLovin set to soar at the open. The company issued a better-than-expected first-quarter sales outlook in the uh, overall questionable internet ad market space. AppLovin is up 20, we'll call it 30%, 29.9. Let's round up, call it 30%. AppLovin, there you go, up 30%. Now, even if those gains hold, stock's still down almost 80% in the past 12 months. So cold comfort Unless you happen to time it and like buy it yesterday. Anyway, shares of 23andMe jumping nearly 6%. This after the genetics testing company raised guidance for the year, saying it has received new FDA clearance to provide additional reports to customers. The company adding it is making progress on drug development efforts, including a clinical trial for cancer testing. And a firm announcing it is eliminating nearly 20% of its workforce. CEO Max Levchin coined the decision, quote, the most difficult one and that the layoffs impacting nearly 500 employees would be effective that day. Shares of a firm actually lower this morning. It's one of those buy now, pay later companies. All right. Meantime, let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines outside of the markets, including the very latest on that horrible earthquake in Turkey. Philip Menas is in New York with that and more. Philip.
3: Hi, Brian. Good morning. Yeah, we start with the tragedy in the Middle East, where rescuers there are fighting frigid temperatures and racing against the clock to free survivors from the rubble. The death toll climbing to nearly 16,000 after Monday's massive set of earthquakes that rocked Turkey and Syria. According to the State Department, three Americans were among the thousands killed in Turkey. Teams from more than two dozen countries are joining tens of thousands of local emergency personnel in the rescue efforts. Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman has been hospitalized. His staff says the senator was at a Democratic retreat when he began feeling lightheaded. Fetterman, you may remember, had a stroke back in May. His primary care physician provided an update in October saying that he could work full duty in public office. The senator's office says that initial tests did not show evidence of a new stroke, but Fetterman would remain at the hospital overnight for observation. They also said he was in good spirits and talking with family. All right, Shifting over to the Super Bowl, Budweiser has brought in four adorable additions to their Clydesdale family, four foals named Baron, Sargent, Stinger, and Razor. And while they won't be in the King of Beers and newest Super Bowl commercial, they will be at a watch party for the game hosted on their ranch in Missouri. The newest ad's theme is based on the six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. So, Brian, of course, in addition to the game, every year this is also the Super Bowl of advertisements.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you got a prediction for us, Philip? What's your take? You got a hot take on the game?
3: <laughs> I, I'm going to go with the Eagles 28, uh, 27. So kind of a hedge. I think the Chiefs cover by half a point there. But uh, hey, you know, what I, I was going to say got yeah, got I, most of them wrong. So take it for what it's worth.
1: I, I, you know what? I like it though. I like got the Eagles to win, but the Chiefs to cover. Eagles one and a half point favorites. Philomena, I love it. Just going, you're, you're laying it out there. You didn't hedge. <laughs> Philip, thank you. So you got it. I'll call you out next week. All right. <laughs> As we head to break, we are watching shares of Google parent Alphabet. The stock getting hit yesterday, following a glitch during its AI product unveil event. Google coming back a little bit up one percent. Their AI had kind of a fail. If you missed it, they tried to show off the knowledge. They asked a question about some, some, you know, telescope and planets, and it was completely wrong. So they got some work to do so do we. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back right after this. Can the market rally to begin the year roll on? It sure looks like it. Future's set for a solid start at the open. A big reason, Disney. Shares looking magic. CEO Bob Iger makes big changes and big cuts. And investing in the Heroes of net zero, metal for EVs and other future technologies that are seeing a lot of love, and maybe more room to run. It's happening on this Thursday, February 9th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Right, welcome, or well, welcome back, everybody, and good Thursday morning. I'm Brian Sullivan, right around 530 here on the East Coast. Here's how things are looking, and they are looking very bright. Let's call them snazzy, shall we? Stock futures, they are higher across the board. Dow up 250. NASDAQ up 151. Could continue what has been a very solid start for the year for stocks. In energy, oil and natural gas are going in opposite directions. But what's new? Oil a bit higher. Natural gas prices ticking down again. They're at $2.39. Now, Nat gas greatly affected, of course, by the weather, how much heat we need. And get this. It's going to be 52 degrees in New York City today, nearly 60 degrees tomorrow, and a high of 58 in Boston tomorrow. I don't know if it's been the warmest winter ever. We should run this stat. Maybe we do an RBI in the weather tomorrow or next week. But if it's not the warmest winter ever, it's got to be darn close, which is cutting demand for gas. And hopefully all those sky-high electricity bills that many of you are getting will come down in a few months. Remember, there is a lag. I know most of you got crushed and your bills have surged. Maybe, hopefully, some of those rates will come down. By the way, a big thank you to Mother Nature. You may have saved Europe and part of us this winter. All right, let's stay with commodities. Of course, there's been a massive amount of attention on metals in recent years, but not just the shiny ones, ones that investors say could propel the world's energy transformation in the decades ahead. Pippa Stevens, here now with more on that. Pippa, good morning.
2: Hey, Brian. Well, lithium is the one that we all know about, and it's attracted a lot of attention since it is vital. But it's by no means the only necessary raw material. Bank of America's dubbed the group the MIFs, or the metals important for future technologies, calling them the heroes of net zero. It includes everything from copper and aluminum to nickel, boron, cobalt, zinc and graphite, among others. Now, estimates vary widely for just how much of each material we'll need. But the IEA forecasts that hitting net zero globally by 2050 will require six times more mineral inputs by 2040. Some believe we simply won't have enough. Sprott Asset Management CEO John Champaglia said the lack of investment in production, thanks in part to so much focus on technology and growth stocks, is now coming home to roost. Last week, Sprot launched four ETFs focused on energy transition metals. Other funds looking to gain broad exposure include the VanEck Green Metals ETF, ticker GMET, as well as the Global X Lithium and Battery ETF. Now, amid the U.S.'s reshoring push, there are also a number of companies focused on domestic mining, some of which are in pre-production. That includes names like Piedmont and Albemarle for lithium, 5E Advanced Materials for boron, MP Materials for rare earths, and Talon for nickel. Another name we're watching is Lithium Americas. That stock up more than 30 percent this year. Earlier this week, a federal judge approved the BLM's decision to grant the company a permitting pass for its Thacker Pass mine out in Nevada. They also, of course, had that $650 million investment from GM. Brian?
1: Now, we talk, we use a a lot of these ETFs, Pippa, they use words like green and renewable and clean. I mean, those are all words that get lumped in. But you know and I know, and let's be sure that our audience knows, a lot of these companies, while powering electrification, it is amazing how much mining has to be done, correct? I mean, like giant machinery digging down into places that are usually not real close to other things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And they can face a lot of local opposition. They can be very disruptive to local ecosystems. And so there are a lot of critics and there are many who say that we should focus on the raw materials we already have rather than trying to get a host of new materials out of the ground. So it's definitely a thorny issue, Brian.
1: Or just walk everywhere. Pippa Stevens, still (laughs) a lot of attention from (laughs) investors. Or we just walk everywhere. Pippa, thank you very much. Like Steven Wright said, everything is within walking distance if you have the time. All right, now to the big news on Disney. Shares surging up nearly 6%. CEO Bob Iger announcing a, quote, significant transformation for Disney, which unfortunately includes firing or forcing out 7,000 people. Tough for those families. Iger trying to lower costs. The stock has been one of the hottest in America this year, up about 25 percent. Joining us now is John Hudlick. He is the UBS Telecom analyst. John, your take on the quarter, what stuck out, maybe what didn't. Sure. Uh, good morning, Brian. Uh, I would say results were somewhat better than what we, than we expected, for sure.
4: Uh, but the real focus was on uh, sort of Bob Iger's vision of the future and, and, and of Disney. And I think, uh, as, you, as you said, cost-cutting was, was a major focus. He, he outlined $4.5 billion in new cost cuts that are going to take place over the next few years. And he also offered a, a streamlined version, I would say, of, of his streaming D2C service.
1: Okay. What can you tell us about Disney+, Plus? about ESPN? I saw some reorganization, but it sounds like ESPN will stay. It's, gonna, it's not going to be spun off into a separate company. He said it was going to stay. But what are they going to do about streaming? I mean, is Disney Plus going to cost our viewers 20 bucks a month soon?
4: Uh, it may. Um, definitely pricing was one of the areas that they addressed. They, they think that services are I think, across the board between ESPN Plus, Hulu and Disney Plus are, are, are underpriced. Um, I think they're going to reevaluate their spend on general entertainment. So, um, you know, they really delineated between sort of core Disney, which includes Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, some of the classic Disney and what they're doing on the general entertainment side. And I think they're going to roll back some of the spending there. And I think that's that's really the, where that three billion of that four and a half billion came from. Um, but, yeah, streaming is still the future of this company. Um, but I think, you know, similar to other traditional media companies that sort of went all in on streaming to sort of chase Netflix. I think what you're seeing is sort of a bit of a reversal for, really from all these companies now. And this is we saw the same from Disney last night. So still the focus. But I think profitability, you know, comes back as, as really the main focus of the company.
1: When, when will Disney Plus be profitable? I mean, yeah, heck, so when will when will when will peak, When will any of these streaming services be profitable? I'm asking for a friend, John.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. So each one of these companies is on its own timeline, right? Uh, so uh, Bob kept the guidance effectively, maintained the guidance for Disney. For uh, the DTC business being profitable in two thousand by the end of two thousand twenty-four, and and profitable for the full year in twenty-five, um, I think there are some efforts to reaccelerate that. Again, they cut content spend really uh, on, on sort of non-sports by about three billion or, or sort of fifteen sixteen percent. I think if some of these other companies are going to follow. I, w- I would expect uh, you're going to hear sim- something similar from from Warner Brothers in a couple weeks, maybe even Paramount. I mean, I think what, what often happens in Hollywood is, is Disney sort of leads the trend. And, um, and, I, and I think they are setting the stage for further cuts as we, as we look out over the next few weeks.
1: And, we, you know, we, gosh, I forgot that Disney actually has, you know, theme parks, Disneyland, Disney World. How are they doing? And what's the recession risk? I mean, we know these parks. Listen, you take your kids because they want to go. You spend the money. But with all with savings being drawn down, you wonder if families are going to be able to go and spend, you know, a thousand bucks a day at these parks.
4: Yeah. And, and that is the that's the worry and, and part of the pushback we hear from from our clients. Um, parks crushed it. Uh, domestic parks margins, 35 percent. It's the highest we've seen in a number of years. Um, you, you had um, double digit attendance growth, uh, high single digit uh, per cap spending. Uh, they really did extremely well. Booking seemed very strong. But you're right. As you look out, you know, a few, you know, uh, a few quarters, the the, the um, you know, that look looks looks a bit hazy. But I'd say right now, um, you know, it's uh, you know they're doing phenomenally well. As are the parks at Comcast. I mean, the parks business itself is doing extremely well.
1: John hudlock on Disney. Thank you very much, John. Big quarter there. Stock is surging. Appreciate it, John. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. All right, and by the way, be sure to catch the very welcome. Be sure to catch the CNBC exclusive interview with Disney CEO Bob Iger. That's a biggie. That's at 9 a.m. Eastern this morning. Obviously, a lot of questions. We get a lot of investor attention as well. All right, coming up, living in the Big Apple, never cheap, but it's going to cost you even more. Robert Frank laying out the record-breaking cost of renting in New York City. And as we had to break some of your top-trending stories happening right now, Nintendo – Announcing the latest offering in its highly popular Legend of Zelda video game series, the game is due in May, and get this, it's going to cost you seventy bucks. Also, and this is kind of weird. A new poll from McAfee showing that one in three men might use ChatGPT to write love letters this Valentine's Day. Among reasons for using the chatbot, they're looking to gain confidence, maybe they have a lack of inspiration, or maybe a lack of time. By the way. Who doesn't have time to write a couple sentences for the one you care about? Ridiculous. And listen to this, basketball fans. The Brooklyn Nets looking to make another blockbuster trade, reportedly trading Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns. It's just days after trading Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks. By the way, for Durant, he's going to be three players and I think four first-round picks. Wow. Dow futures up 270. We're back right after this. All right. Welcome or welcome back. Many of you may watching now or listening now may live in New York City. This won't be news to you, but for the rest of us, the cost of keeping a roof over your head in New York City, only getting more expensive. New figures revealing that the average price for a rental in Manhattan continues to break records. Robert Frank with us now to look at just how much living in the Big Apple will cost you. These numbers are just stupid.
7: Yeah, especially, Brian, if you're renting right now. And remember, after the record high rents that we saw in Manhattan last fall and summer, everyone expected they would start falling in January. Now that record may be the new normal in Manhattan. The median rent hitting $4,100 a month. That's up 15% over last year. That marks the highest January for Manhattan rents ever. The average, average rent for a one bedroom is still above $5,000 a month, and more renters are actually paying it. The number of new leases in January jumping 8% over December and 9% over last year. Real estate brokers say New York's strong job market is really helping to keep up demand. And then we have low inventory, which means you don't have a lot of choice. The vacancy rate in Manhattan now at about 2.5%. That's below the typical average of about 3%. Corcoran saying these high prices are the new, quote, equilibrium in Manhattan. Brokers also say they don't expect these rents to come down at least for the next six months. The top end may move even higher as the wealthy buyers are staying in rentals. Until they see sale prices move lower, nearly one in five luxury rentals actually saw a bidding war in January. Brian,
1: you know, I was, uh, you were at the top, and I kind of thought maybe you know I got wax in my ears. Do you say five thousand for a one bedroom?
7: Yeah, the median is forty-one hundred. The average for a one bedroom is five thousand dollars. And remember. Housing is about a third of the CPI index, which the Federal Reserve looks at for where we are with inflation. So because New York is the largest rental market, the fact that these rents are not coming down and maybe even going higher, that puts upward pressure on the CPI and the Fed and overall inflation. So this is a really big component of the housing market and the CPI. And the fact that it's not coming down and maybe won't for six months is not a great sign for inflation.
1: Luckily, education in New York is cheap and plentiful. Robert Frank, <laughs> yeah. thank you. Yeah, 5,000 a month for like an 800 square foot box with no outdoor space. Okay. Anyway, as we had to break, during February we are celebrating Black Heritage. The story of some of our CNBC teammates, contributors, leaders in business. Here is RBC Capital Markets cbc contributor one of my good friends, super genius, Alima Croft.
2: I'm most proud to be my father's daughter. My father, Howard Croft, was a civil rights activist He went down to Mississippi to help register voters. He did that a great personal sacrifice, that he was really sort of a foot soldier in the civil rights movement. He was not well known at the time. And I think about everything that I've been able to achieve in my lifetime, it's because of people like my father and all of those civil rights activists. Black History Month is that you know, month where I think back on all of those incredible individuals, both known and unknown, that just sacrificed so much to bring about this profound change in this country.
1: All right. Welcome. Welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap up. Here we go. Disney laying off 7,000 employees, part of a five and a half billion dollar cost cutting plan. Mattel sinking after the toy company reported a double digit fall in sales for the fourth quarter. Hedge fund third point taking a stake in Salesforce. Not according to reports. If so, it would join other hedge funds and agitating for change at Salesforce. Buy now, pay later firm, Affirm saying it's also cutting jobs. About 19 percent of its employees will soon be without a paycheck. And JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon warning declaring victory over inflation may be premature and that the Fed could raise interest rates above the 7% mark if higher prices remain sticky and Chinese AI stocks taking a hit after a state media outlet basically warned investors to watch out for so-called trendy investments. All right, now it is time to welcome back one of our favorite guests here on Worldwide Exchange and CNBC. And that is Amy Zhang, executive VP and fund manager of the Alders Small Cap Focus Fund, Mid Cap Focus, Mid Cap 40 and Small Cap Growth Strategies Fund. Amy, welcome back. Every time we talk to you, you've added a fund. You must be you must be kicking tail. Thanks very much for joining us uh, back on. Before we get into two great picks you brought for us, are you shocked at how strong the macro market has been this year?
8: Uh, Good morning, Brian. It's always great to be on your show. Um, Yes, but, you know, I'm a stock picker, so I think regardless of the, uh, you know, macro uh, factors, uh, we really uh, enjoy finding, um, you know, um, small-cap companies early in the cycle that, you know, where we think we can...
1: Yeah, and one thing that you do so well, and we and we did a pro event with you as well, is you find these these smaller cap stocks, many of them I've, I've never heard about. One of them is called Clearwater Analytics. It is a cloud company, so many are, but it's in a unique space, sort of the in, investor relations, investor type space. Tell us about Clearwater and why you like it.
8: Yeah, Clearwater is a cloud-based software company. that They really specialize in investment accounting analytics for insurance companies, asset managers, and some corporations. So what's really unique about them is they're the only cloud-native solution in the market that can provide real-time data uh, for their customers. And uh, each day, you know, uh, Clearwater uh, aggregates data on over 5.9 trillion uh, of global invested assets, um, you know, reports on them and then turn those data into action information. What is really special about this company is they really brought automation to a very, um, you know, manual um, based industry with very high uh, cost and tedious process. It's of paramount importance. And what we really like about it is because their moat uh, is really very strong with the data. Because every time they add a customer with more assets, uh, it's a really a significant. This very underpenetrated and large market uh, still, and because. They have a very strong mode. They're able to have very strong unit economics that can sustain, uh, you know, um, uh, revenue growth. And-
1: okay, Amy, we're having a, a slight, slight video feed issue. We're going we're to go to a quick break. We're going to give you a call. Want to get your final pick as well? No, we're not going to do that. What are we going to do, guys? That's we, Yep, that's going to give her a call. Good. We're going to still hear from Amy. We're going to do the old-fashioned thing with the rotary dial. We'll take a short break. We're not going to take a break. All right, we're going to take a look at futures. Dow futures up. I'm going to speak really slowly so we can do the phone call thing. Let me know when we have Amy on the line. Dow futures up 276. NASDAQ futures up 170 right now. Clearwater Analytics was the name that Amy just brought to you, C-W-A-N, on the cloud space. When we get Amy, let me know, because you definitely want to get her pics, or maybe we'll get her back on tomorrow. No oh, Amy th- yet? All right. Oh,
9: I'm
1: th- Amy, are you there? I'm
9: th- yes, I'm here, Brian. I'm here, Brian. I'm here, Brian.
1: This is, I, I love it. Our viewers are getting a feel into live TV at 5.55 in the morning. It's good to have you back on. All right, let's move on. We have graphics. Heska, I have two dogs. Those dogs get more attention and probably eat better than I do. A lot of people love their pets. Is this one reason you like Hesca, a veterinary platform?
9: Yes, definitely. As we talk about, you know, there's very strong secular uh, trends of humanization of pets. And, you know, pets are really uh, part of our families, as you mentioned. Uh, you, you actually use Hesca diagnostics, as I recall. And, uh, but at this point, what we really about like about Hesca is it's very, very um, attractive in terms of valuations, only trading at uh, three times um, EV2 sales. And that's because, you know, during the pandemic, they accelerated growth. And uh they almost did too well. So they, they hit some bumps uh in the road with some uh delayed you know, your new product um introduction and but now um all those um and the vet visits, a lot of that went on vacation, you know, uh people, you know, returning to work, but now all those headwinds they experienced last year turning into um tailwinds and we think the top comms will subside. And more importantly, they're launching some new products that will really accelerate growth um, uh this year. You know, one of the uh product is the first ever point of care back cancer screen, starting with dogs. That's a very huge uh market opportunity for Heska. Uh and also they are starting uh they, they, they launching uh this heartworm test called the True Rapid. Mm-hmm. Their rapid test, which is also significant uh, expansion of their addressable market, and then this Element aim which is the all-in-one platform for yeah. urine testing. So overall, they're expanding their addressable market with more uh, recurrent revenue, and we think a lot of incredible drivers yep. uh, for them. Um,
1: Amy, Amy, even, we love having you on, regardless if it's by phone or video. Thank you so much, Amy Zhang. We'll get you back on. Pesca and Clearwater Analytics, our thanks to Amy Zhang as well. By the way, if you haven't seen her CNBC Pro we did with her a few months ago, she has a bunch of stock picks. Go to CNBC Pro, sign up today, check it out. I'm out. I'll see you tomorrow. Squawk is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.